our family is at a point where we can't really go out and do a ton of stuff outside of our own home and neighborhood, you know, but we can invite those in, those who seem lonely, those who are maybe socioeconomically marginalized or struggle with mental health or lots of different things, like just the people that we meet in our lives, in our neighborhood or at church. Like, so we have a specific night every other week where it's like our hospitality night and we bring in, intentionally invite people and bring them in. But so for us, that's been helpful to just know that this time every other week we have this thing. But I don't know, that was just a really simple way for us to be like, okay, in this crazy life with like all these little kids, we can't get out a lot, but we can bring people in. You're listening to Upside Down, a podcast on spirituality and culture. No topic is off limits, so join us for unscripted conversations on God's Upside Down Kingdom. Welcome to episode 38 of Upside Down Podcast. I am Kayla Craig, and I'll be hosting this episode along with my wonderful, smart, beautiful podcast host, Lindsay Wallace and Shannon Evans. Say hello, ladies. We paid you to say that. (laughs) I will take money via PayPal, Venmo. (laughs) Glad you We are really excited because we are talking about a topic that we're asked a lot about, not because, you know, we're experts, but I think people are just genuinely curious and looking for conversations to be had about how to raise upside down kids, right? Like there's a lot of great resources out there about, you know, gospel centered parenting or Christian parenting and Wow, that runs the gamut. <laughs> all, all, everybody yeah, has does. an opinion. Everybody yeah. has a philosophy and a parenting doctrine, and it can get really messy. But what we're going to kind of be drilling down in and talking about is kind of how we incorporate our kind of kingdom values, kind of the upside downness of the message of Jesus in our daily lives as we raise children. So, all of us are parents. Um, we have how many kids between us? Is it 13? Oh, we did the math. Yes. Yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're word people. <laughs> but yeah, we have 13 kids between us. As If you've been a listener for a while, you know that we have biological kiddos. We have kids through all different types of adoption. And um, who has the oldest kid? I was wondering because I have a seven and a half year old. Mm-hmm. Lindsay, how old are your oldest? Yeah, I was thinking it would be helpful for us to run that down again. So my oldest is 10 and then six months behind him, which those are very important. Six months is a nine-year-old <laughs> and then I have an eight-year-old and a seven-year-old and a five-year-old. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. I have a eight-year-old, a four-year-old, a almost two-year-old and a baby. Mm-hmm. And your almost two-year-old and my almost two-year-old, this is Kayla, are so similar. It's crazy. They are. They're little chunks of love. I know. Johnny was like, he he can do no wrong, can he? And I'm like, I hate to admit this, but it's a little true. So, this is Kayla, and I have a seven-and-a-half-year-old. Uh, by the time this releases, a five-year-old and a two-year-old and an almost two-year-old. So we're not uh, experienced parents. We have not hit those middle and teen years yet. So take take what we're saying with uh, a grain of salt because you might not, sure. wanna, might not want to listen to us. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, check back in 10 years. And so. Right, right, right. <laughs> so we're going to be kind of diving into how we we 
teach and live out our values of, you know, peace and justice and the kind of transformative, um, I don't know, transformative power of Jesus in our daily lives. And so I was, I was reading a book and if you've been listening for a while, you know that I love old books. And this is a book I've referenced once before, but it's Parenting for Peace and Justice. And it was written by a couple in uh, the 70s and it released in 1981. And my copy is, you know how old books, the binding kind of falls apart and the pages are all like cobbled together. But mm-hmm. man, it is good. It is good stuff. And so we are going to be kind of basing our conversation off of some of the chapters in that because it just has really been a good kind of skeleton to work from. So as we get started, I've been thinking about the Beatitudes. And there was a line in this book that really struck me. And it was, are the Beatitudes just for people who aren't too busy? Was Jesus addressing only non-parents? Uh-huh. <laughs> I just noticed this little line, but I was like, yeah. <laughs> because raising kids, you know, that's that takes a lot of time and energy. And how do we live out our values when we're like changing diapers and, you know, taking kids to doctor's appointments and therapy and school and all these different things. And um, so basically that's kind of what we're going to be talking about. So dun, 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 let's dive right in. How do you guys focus in on what your goals are as a parent for your children? Like, how do you kind of drill down and figure out what you want to pass on to your kids or what you want your kids to value? We don't have, this is Shannon, we don't have like a formal way that we revisit this every year or anything like that. Although I think that's probably a good idea, but it does seem to come up naturally in conversations um, with Eric, my husband and myself of just kind of, it seems to be pretty cyclical. I won't say it's like an annual conversation, but sometimes more often, sometimes less often, but just kind of, it just comes up naturally, I think for us, um, of kind of evaluating, are we living out, um, our belief system? Are we living out what we, what we feel compelled by the gospel to do, or is it just talk and how are we doing with bringing our kids into that? So, um, as much as I would like to say, we, you know, we have something on the calendar where we have this great assessment outline and and make plans and everything. It's for us, if it's our personality and our family life to have it be um, more nuanced and come up, it it just naturally comes up pretty frequently for us. But Mm -hmm. Lindsay, I imagine you as like having like a family (laughs) mission statement on the wall. I, I have some things written down. I, I think what floats though to the top of my mind is I I feel like I'm constantly discerning like who has God made this person to be Mm. and how can I like come alongside that Mm -hmm. Um, because there's so much of our culture that says don't be that way right like sit down be quiet conform stand in a line and and I'm constantly going, okay, what did God put in these children that I can encourage that's from him? Like he's crafted them in this way. And how do I come alongside that? And really like, I've heard it described before as parenting is kind of like treasure hunting. Like there are these mm-hmm. treasures in our kids 
and, and and we're just searching for them. God's put them there and we're searching and we're trying to, you know, kind of like pan for gold to allow those qualities and character traits to rise to the top so that God can use them. And for me, that's hard because a lot of times the character traits that my kids have that I think like when I stop and think about it, the things that really annoy me, actually God could probably really use people like that in the Mm -hmm. world. And so I have to check myself and go, wait a minute, am I just responding like the way that everyone around me is responding to your, um, you know, strong leadership qualities (laughs) (laughs) because God, we actually need really strong leaders for the kingdom. Right. So I think for me, it's like this constant discernment of like, who is God creating or who did God create you to be? And how can I like usher that into a functional adult and not stand in the way? Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that idea of seeing the child as an individual that bears the image of God in Mm -hmm. quite possibly a very different way than you do, you know? Right. Yeah. Right. And it's not always easy either. Like you said. No. Yeah. So how do we instill that creativity and that kind of self-awareness in our kids? I, I think it's already there. I think it goes back to that like treasure hunting. Like when I read, Kayla, you brought up the Beatitudes. And when I was looking through your notes to prepare, I just love that that's where we started. Because when I look at these things, like blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn the meek, those who hunger, like kids do those things naturally. Mm -hmm. Like when a kid is sad, they are sad and everybody knows it, you know, and it's not until they get older and adults start to say like, stop crying. Why are you crying? What's wrong with you? Why are you sad? You shouldn't, you know, like we start to to tamper that. Is that the right word? Tamper. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, I think they naturally are creative. Like they were created by a creator, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think they have that natural creativity and that natural wonder and awe. Mm. And man, if adults, we just beat it out of them. Mm. And so and then as adults, we have to go to therapy to work through. Exactly. (laughs) We have to figure out what we feel because we don't know because we've stopped feeling, you know? Mm. And so I think one of the things we talk about a lot, um, and our pastor did a great sermon series on this a couple of Christmases ago, but just the wonder of God Mm. and like kids have that naturally. And I think for the hard part is for us adults to not, not like I said, just kind of, I don't mean physically beat it out of them, but you know, just to like get them to reach for the American dream or reach, you know, just, I don't know. I think they are, they are that they are creators naturally. And we tend to push those, push that aside for more important things, but really like, what is the important thing, you know? Standardized testing. (laughs) Very important. No, Lizzie, what you were saying reminds me of my favorite parenting book. And I don't even know if you could really count it as, um, it's not like a go-to, you know, type of parenting book that tells you how to discipline your kids or anything, but it really opened my mind to that idea that our kids were made to live creatively and they, we can cultivate the gifts that they have. And it's a book um, by Mark and Jan Foreman, and they're the parents of um, Tim and John Foreman, and they're 
musicians and Switchfoot, you know, John Foreman is a, Mm. you know, like amazing artist in a lot of different ways. Mark is a pastor. Their dad is a pastor and they get asked a lot, what did you do to raise these kids? (laughs) Like, Like why, you know, and they basically say like, we let them do what they want not yeah. wanted and not in a way that was like we never you know parented them or gave them sort of structure but they they balanced structure with individual choice right. and figured out how to incorporate the love and the beauty of god in their day-to-day yeah. i just i loved that book and at the end of i think each chapter um there's a lot of reflection points for you to kind of like jot down and it talks a lot about how you have to look at how you were raised before you can then go into raising your own kids and i really like that book so that's my that's my plug for that <laughs> mm-hmm. that sounds good cool. i this is kind of maybe a rabbit trail but one of the some pushback that I've gotten when I've talked to people about the way that we parent because we do really um, we encourage choice and individual choice and um, people will say like well life isn't all about choices or like you don't always have choices and I agree on one hand that not all choices are equal but you 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 really kind of do always have a choice you know like and I think that like when you teach that to your children they learn sort of like the natural consequence as opposed to the enforced consequence. Mm-hmm. And, and so then I, that's just like such a richer learning environment as opposed to like, well, you have no choice. You have to do X, Y, and Z. And it's like, no, in most cases as adults, we have choices. We might get a speeding ticket as a result of our choice, but like we still have there, you know, there are guidelines, but we always have choices. And I don't know. I think that kind of is goes back to what I was saying earlier about conforming and sort of beating that wonder out of out of us. We've also kind of taken away, um, really. I think the reality that we almost always have a choice in in whatever you know, whatever the life circumstance might be. Not always. I mean, there are situations of oppression and systemic injustice, and that's different. That's a different podcast. But <laughs> in terms of kids and teaching them to make choices. Mm-hmm. That just seems like a really valuable tool that not everyone is like giving their kids, you know? So how do you guys create family community? Because we all have spouses. We all have multiple children. So how do you kind of foster that community within your own family mm-hmm. unit? This is something I feel pretty strongly about. I think, I mean, and granted, like we said at the beginning, our kids are still really little. And so right now it's pretty easy to do this. Um, but we really limit like mm. what goes on outside of the home. And and I don't mean like in a way that I like suffocatingly shelter my children, but like I want them to know like that these people under our roof, like they are your primary best friends. They are your playmates. They are your support system for the rest of your life, you know? Um, and so we, I don't know. I, I, at this point, like we really are limiting extracurricular stuff just cause I don't want, I don't want them to be pulled in a thousand directions. I want them to be really, um, centered in, in the community of our family. And saying that we are very intentional to, to also bring in others into our family, but predominantly we do that in our home. Um, and that's not necessarily like the way everybody has to do it, but I'm just saying like, we are still looking outward, but for our kids, like we're trying to keep their world small um, because 
right now, frankly, like I want to be their primary influencer. You know, I want to be the one that's primarily shaping them. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, I'm lucky where I can find a way to, to work and do projects that are exciting for me personally. I don't feel like shackled to my children. Um, But I think there's so much pressure from the outside world to like, get them socialized to get them in sports and arts mm-hmm. and music and what's going to happen to them if they don't do these things like from age five on <laughs> up you know i know real i know yeah. how do you guys and then uh, everybody goes i'm so busy right <laughs> i'm like well i'm not i'm just at home <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> oh i love that yeah that's, I mean, I relate a lot with that, you know, like you, I have kids that go to school. So your, your oldest and my oldest both go to public school. So obviously there's a lot of interaction with the outside world there, but when it comes to being home, I feel like we're pretty protective about home being home, you know, and being a, a safe place to be able to decompress and not have all the, the noise of the outside. You know what I mean? And so for us, I think something that that helps and we don't always do this well and it's always a journey we're on, but something that helps for us is really limiting media usage yeah. with our kids. And we don't have cable, so that helps a lot. And we don't have the TV on at home with the kids unless it's PBS. So my kids don't know what commercials are. So we could, <laughs> so we go to, you know, like grandma and grandpa's or we're at a hotel or something and they just are like mouth open, eyes as big as saucers. Like, I want that toy. I want that. Oh, I want to go there. I want to do that. And I'm like, it's just this front row seat of seeing these ideas of like consumerism and yeah. Like, this is what you need to be better and to be happy. And it's like, mm. oh, wow. And, and you know, I say that I, we we have miles to go. And I'm definitely not judging people that have the TV on with commercials. But that is something I've seen um, the benefit of of trying to limit. Right. Yeah. When we talk about just practical steps to take, I think that's huge. Like, we just do Netflix. We don't, like, yes, I don't yeah. even actually know how to work a TV. <laughs> 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 but but like, well, we do Netflix. We're not like a screen free family or anything. But but I agree, Kayla. Um, I like sometimes I step back and I'm like, oh, that's refreshing that like my kids don't know to beg for these popular toys because they don't even know what they are. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's interesting to hear your all's answers to this question. So we kind of have a family motto that we stick together. Um my gosh, so do we. <laughs> I think a lot of ha- adoptive families, adoptive, maybe, yeah. Yeah. like we're trying to, um, you know, just encourage attachment and this idea that we are, you know, we're here for each other and we, we stick together. So, I mean, that's something that I say often. Um, I think for us, it looks a little bit different. I mean, it's funny because my kids, they ha- they're they this weird mix of sheltered and then the opposite of sheltered yeah. because <laughs> of the way that we've chosen to just um, live kind of on the margins. And so a quick funny story. The other day, my kids are outside and they were having dinner. There were neighbor kids in the yard and they were all sitting at the picnic table. 
And my youngest has a fascination with words that she's not supposed to say. So instead, <laughs> she'll spell the word or tell you the beginning letter or, you know, something along those lines. And she was like, you guys know the B word? And one of the neighbor kids was like, you mean a female dog? And she was like, no, B-U-T-T. <laughs> they were like, the neighbor kids just kind of looked at me and I was like, play along, you know, <laughs> because... Yeah, they're they're just this weird mix of um, of sheltered and then not sheltered at yeah. all. So we, I mean, we do encourage our kids to have boundaries, um, which I think is part of of creating a family community. Because while we do live in community with each other as a family, like we also recognize you're an individual and you have mm. you know needs, and we want to affirm those in you, and so. Like for our kids, when we have other people into our home, which we do on a daily basis, like we're about as close to living in, you know, physical community with other people as you can be and not actually share a living space. Um, Like they're allowed to um, keep the room, keep the door to their bedroom shut and they don't have to let other people in their room and they can make that call whenever they want. And it can be different, you know, if today I feel okay with it and tomorrow I don't, that's totally fine. And we don't question it and we don't push it. Mm -hmm. So I think part of it for us has been encouraging them like to, to also have good self care habits, you know, Mm -hmm. and like pay attention to themselves and how they're feeling and how they like, again, it kind of goes back to choice. Like you have the choice to interact with people or you have the choice not to, and, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. So, um, it looks a little bit different for us. And I mean, I feel like it could be said of all of our families that we're, we're trying to draw a wider circle, you know, when it comes to family and how we love people that are maybe outside of our, of our nuclear families. as Yes. Well. And Lindsay, what a great segue to my next question. <laughs> so I would love to know how you guys do incorporate your kids into the outside community and into social action. Well, I take my kids to protests. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I have, but I, that's not my answer. Right. <laughs> but that is something like simple that you can do with kids. I mean, unless it's like yeah. a, like they're not emotionally ready for the nature of the protests. Well, then. that's something that I've been thinking about now that my oldest is a good reader. Yeah. And I'm thinking about, um, you know, maybe taking him to a protest, but also wondering like, am I pushing that on him? And also is he going to read things that he is not on signs that he is not in a place where he can process and understand. And, Oh, I have really complicated feels about that. I would love to know how you guys discern that. Well, I, I took my, well, he was, I guess, seven at the time, my oldest, um, to a protest when there when the Muslim ban was issued around this time last year. Um, and it really, cause it really affected our community and Iowa state university in the town that we live. Um, a lot of students were affected and even faculty. And so we went to that and that was something I felt really comfortable explaining to him mm-hmm. and um, he could read the signs, but they were, I, I knew that they would, I knew kind of what the nature of the signs would be. And I felt comfortable with that. Um, mm-hmm. another example is coming up in a few weeks is the March for our lives walk, um, that's happening nationwide about gun control and specifically, you know, in the schools. 
um, or like how, how lack of gun control, I should say, is affecting the children in our schools. And that one I really want to go to, but I'm, my husband's going to be out of town. And I'm like, I don't think I'm ready to talk about that with him yet. Mm -hmm. Um, because his school is one that is, is not doing the, the drills because they Mm -hmm. feel like it's too traumatic for young children. And I'm so thankful for that. Um, but yeah, so he doesn't know that that's an issue there. That's Mm -hmm. even a possibility. And I don't really want to introduce that right now. So I think it just depends on the issue really. Yeah, that's good. Shannon. Kayla, what was your question? Oh, I had about 500 questions. <laughs> so the main, though, the main, the big question is how do you incorporate community and social action? And then a sidebar yeah. to that was how do you discern, right, right. which is what Shannon was just talking about. Man, I don't know how to answer this. I think it's just so much of the way that we live. And I don't say that to mean that like we're doing it right or that this is, you know, this is the only way. But I think for us, like we live in our community to have an, I mean, everybody does. I don't want to say that either. I was going to say we live in our community to have an impact, but. But you very intentionally do. Like you're, yeah, you're yeah, doing you like. There yeah. the neighborhood. Right. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the reasons that we've chosen to homeschool our kids is because we want them to be involved. And so they can be a part. I mean, we did a housing protest um, about a year and a half ago and I have a picture. It's one of my favorite pictures of my oldest daughter standing in the street holding a sign that says um, housing for all and she's pointing her finger and she has this very intense look on her face I have no idea who she's pointing at but I'm just like yes girl you tell them and so I think you know we did we moved here on purpose and um and it I mean I just believe that Jesus cares about the way people live their lives and so uh and I don't mean that about my, like to say us, like Jesus cares about the way we live and we're trying to live up to the standard. I mean, he cares about my neighbors and the way that they live and the way systems of affect them. So we've just incorporated our kids into that. Um, I mean, we have some difficult conversations and like I said, my kids are this weird mix of completely sheltered because they're homeschooled and they think the B word is, but, <laughs> but then, they know what a street worker is, you know, or like they know things that most other kids their age don't. And so, so yeah, that's just kind of this weird mix. And honestly, I don't, we're, we're just kind of figuring it out as we go and looking to people who've gone ahead of us and raised kids in similar um, situations and a lot of prayer. We have a lot of open dialogue. I mean, we, we're just really straightforward with our kids. Um, probably to a level that would make other people (laughs) uncomfortable. Um, And I mean, we are age appropriate, but we're also, our kids have also come from hard places, you know? So like some of the stuff that you guys are saying about your kids and the consumerism, like I have kids who came from that, you know? So they were trying to like, we're we're trying to, yeah, we're trying to weed out that like need for money and success and fast cars and big houses because that's that's kind of what they thought you know life and love and family was so mm-hmm. yeah it just looks a little yeah. different so I'm thinking about 
our listeners who really run the gamut in kids, you know, no kids, all, all sorts of different type of family and community and neighborhood context. So I'm going to read a quote from this, this, this old book I got here. And <laughs> I want you guys to listen and think about um, our listeners and, and ourselves, but specifically about our listeners and kind of speak to that after I'm done reading the quote. So here I go. And the idea is that there's a lack of imagination in parenting. Okay. Many people do not know what to do even when they are willing to do something. Action on behalf of justice and peacemaking are simply equated for many people with either marching in demonstrations or contributing to hunger relief efforts. And most people are afraid of or disagree with the former and are already doing the latter. So what can we do, they ask. The more out of touch we are with the victims of injustice and with people working for change, the less imaginative and less courageous we are likely to be. B. So I would love to dig into that and to say, so what can we do? Like, there's more to social action than donating to hunger relief efforts. And there's more to social action than marching and demonstrations. And those are both good things. But day to day, what what can people do? Like, specifically, yeah. Um, so since this is a parenting episode, I'll be up front that I had to just go run and get my baby to nurse him. So you might hear him breathing <laughs> while I talk. Sweet little nursing noises. Yeah. I think one thing, I'm kind of in an interesting um, position here because last year my family tried to move and do kind of an incarnational ministry full time. Um, at a Catholic worker. And some of you guys are familiar with that because you were following me, but um, it basically kind of fell apart for a multitude of different reasons. Um, But the point is now we're kind of back here living our pretty normal lives in a pretty normal town, pretty normal area of town. And, you know, just like work in our jobs. And, and so it's that it's kind of come to this, like, okay, so in this pretty average American life, like how are we going to live out our values? How are we going to impart them to our children? And frankly, it's a lot harder to do than in this the, the last season of life when we were kind of um, had a lot more opportunity just because of situations and people we were friends with and stuff to um, to live closely with people on the margins. So now we've kind of decided like, well, I think it's going to have to be, um, our family is at a point where we can't really go out and do a ton of stuff outside of our own home and neighborhood, you know? Um, but we can invite those in those who seem lonely, those who are maybe socioeconomically marginalized or struggle with mental health or lots of different things. Like just the people that we meet in our lives, in our neighborhood or at church. Like, so we have a specific night um, every other week where it's like our hospitality night and we bring in intentionally invite people and bring them in. And sometimes they're just our friends or, or sometimes we do kind of try to mix it up with like maybe, 
um, a lot of different kinds of people who wouldn't normally come in contact with one another, you know? Um, but so for us, that's been helpful to just know that this time every other week, we have this thing. We tried to do it every week at first, but then I got overwhelmed by cooking for all those people every week. So, but I don't know. That was just a really simple way for us to be like, okay, in this crazy life with like all these little kids, we can't get out a lot, but we can bring people in. So for us, that's kind of been where we've landed right now in this season of life. Yeah. I kind of echo what Shannon said, although maybe with a different spin on it. I think what I would say to listeners is to get out of your Christian bubble. Yeah. Um, And, you know, that can look a million different ways for a million different people. But I think, I don't know, a lot, most of the Christians I know just kind of operate within that Christian bubble and they're going to Bible study and they're going to this church function and that church function and they're doing this and that for the church. And they're not actually in relationship with anybody who's not in the church, you know? Um, And so I think, I think that's just really huge. And that's something that you can do um, easily. You don't have to move across the country. You don't even have to move across town. I mean, there are people around you who would not consider themselves Christians. Um, And I don't know what drives that, you know, if it's just comfort or fear or what it is, but there's a Dorothy Day says that God always gives us a chance to show our preference for him. And when I think about kind of being prophetic in the world, I think about that idea of like, we can show our preference for God in the midst of people who don't believe in God. And that, that will be peculiar to them and it will resonate with them in a way that they might not even be able to articulate, but it will have impact, you know? And yeah, I think we just have to get out of our Christian bubbles, get out of our comfort zones too. Like Shannon was saying, people who aren't like you um, and just just start having awkward conversations and start rubbing elbows with people that are, that are different and that need Jesus, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And I think we overcomplicate it. I think. Right. I think one thing um, that I hear a lot or I know is a concern is um, people are worried that their children are going to be exposed to things that, that they're either not emotionally ready for or that the parents doesn't want them to be exposed to yet. What would you guys, like, what would your advice be um, if that's people's fear of kind of breaking away from like the Christian bubble? I just don't think that's the gospel. I, I mean, I just don't think loving your neighbor as yourself is hiding away from them, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I don't want to downplay like those real concerns but I just can speak from our personal experience. I mean, some of my kids' favorite neighbors are neighbors who've spent a lot of time in prison or people who have, um, you know, curious employment stuff going on. Or I mean, and, and these are my kids' favorite favorite people in our neighborhood, people that we have into our home, people that we talk about scripture with. And, and I think... Man, if my kids don't see me loving people like that and like welcoming them in, then I kind of feel like they're going to grow up one day and go, wait a minute, you guys didn't actually do, you didn't walk the talk, you know, like you told us the Bible says this, you told us this is the Beatitudes, but like we never saw you doing it. So is it real, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, 
I don't know, maybe I'm putting that on to situations or people and that's not fair. But I just think for us, like we've seen the benefit of getting out of comfort zone. And I mean, man, it just far outweighs like to hear my kids pray for my homeless neighbor who sleeps in his car every day. Like I, I wouldn't trade it, you know, like I wouldn't trade the hard conversations and the you know, legitimately scary times. Like I wouldn't trade those things for the way that I think my kids are seeing Jesus in people who have been marginalized and Mm. in a lot of ways. Lindsay, I hear that. And I, I'm just struck by this idea of our kids are ours for this time, but they're not ours, you know? Mm -hmm. And there's some of Mm -hmm. that we have to relinquish control. And for some of us, that's harder than others, but there is like, these are children on loan to us, which is kind of cliche and and sounds kind of silly, but it's true. Like they're not just our little playthings, you know, like there's bigger things at stake. Um, Something in the book, that I read that resonates with me was there was kind of these six basic principles in family involvement, kind of in this intentional community and kind of social mindedness. And I just want to read them off and then we'll move on to the next question. But I just encourage our listeners to, to think about this and maybe think about incorporating these principles um, in your own families if you are a parent. So the Step one is we regularly invite the children to join us in social action. Two, broad exposure to advocates, victims, situations is crucial. Three, we try to invite the children to actions that are within their capabilities. Four, we try to integrate fun whenever possible. Five, social action involvement means doing with rather than doing for. And yeah, oh, I, I was one. like, I know yeah, it's gonna be like, amen, amen. <laughs> and six social action involves the works of justice as well as the works of mercy. I just love those. Yeah, so good. So, Kayla, those are from the book um, Parenting for Peace and Justice, yes. right? Yep. Okay, so before I forget, it's on Amazon and you can get a used copy for 10 cents. <laughs> oh, so, that's awesome. For our listeners, there are currently 17 used copies. Let's buy them up, guys. 10 I cents. Know. I know. So That's cool. I will be getting one for myself and everyone else. Mm-hmm. Go get those. Yeah. That's really amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's those cool. That yeah. Say. Yeah. I'd love to just like put Principles. that on my wall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those so, are helpful. So just briefly, this is a lot that, um, a, a question that a lot of us probably get because our families are transracial. Um, how, what kind of visuals do you have in your home, like reading materials, toys? Uh, what are things that you have in your home to reflect multiculturalism? And I guess, why is that important in the kingdom? Because some people might not think it is. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So it is important in the kingdom because God created color and he loves it. And we know that because he created it and it's present in the new heaven and the new earth. So, right, every tribe, tongue, and nation will be present. And so God thinks it's good if he's bringing it to eternity. So that's why it's important. I think for us, like, I mean, yes, we have a lot of, I try to be intentional about the books that we buy or books that we get from the library. Um, 
I have the privilege of homeschooling my kids. So when we talk about U.S. history, I don't just talk about how great Christopher Columbus is, you know? Um, so <laughs> Lots of words on that one. <laughs> so it's, I think for us, it's like a, a more, it's, it's a pretty holistic approach in terms of the music that we listen to and the movies that we go see and, um, you know, just like providing a non-white centered version of the world. Mm-hmm. And we're not like, I mean, I think it'd be easy to look at my family because we live in a black neighborhood and be like, oh, well, you know, there's racial mirrors for your kids all around. But the other day I took three of my kids to see Black Panther and we left and one of them was like, mom, why didn't they speak English in the beginning? And I was like, oh dear Lord. Um, because they're in Africa, buddy. <laughs> like, But so even for like, I feel like we're super intentional. Like there is still this, you know, we're fighting against that um, white centeredness mm-hmm. that just is the air that we breathe. Yeah. Anything yeah. to add on that, Shannon? I feel like Lindsay pretty much summarized it. <laughs> yeah, she did. I would say um, also like, I think it's really important as Christians that we communicate to our children that our faith is universal, that it, our faith mm-hmm. is not, because it's really easy to like, find all these multicultural children's books and toys and be intentional with videos. But like when they go to church, it's like white Jesus, white, you know, um, white parishioners or whatever. So it's like seeking out diversity as much as possible within the church that you attend for us. We're Catholic. So I love icons. And so I'm really intentional about finding icons that represent, um, you know, either saints from other parts of the world or like, Mary and Jesus that are depicted as Eskimos or as Himalayan, you know, um, I love that kind of stuff. And I think it's really, it's super important, especially considering Jesus and his comrades were not white, you know, like, (laughs) it's like, it's actually reality, but it's also this broader picture of um, this isn't just about our little corner of the world in like white Midwestern Iowa and right. news for my black son, but it's also good news for all of us because nobody yeah. benefits from a faith like that. You know, we benefit from, from the richness that other cultures bring to it. And, you know, the way that they see things might be different slightly than the way that we see them. And it's just this beautiful tapestry, you know, mm, that's so good. So on on a different kind of similar vein, and this is something we've talked a little bit about in a couple episodes back when we talked about um, being women of the kingdom, but kind of talking about our raising our sons and our daughters and kind of just this world that we live in that's just in church that we live in that's so saturated with gender roles and gender stereotyping. How do you guys give your kids Mm. the tools to understand to understand it and to process it. Like, how do you, how do you go about teaching them either like, this is what a girl does, or this is what a boy does, or do you have a more inclusive look on gender? You know, Mm. how do you do that? I think I try to steer clear of those types of gender ideals in terms of like boys, like these colors, girls, like these colors or boys, like these things and girls like these things, like in general, And it's out there, like I can't, you know, completely, my kids say stuff like that all the time, but as much as possible, I try to say like, well, no, if he wants the purple, whatever, he can Mm -hmm. have it, you know, boys can like purple, it's not a big deal. And I just try to like, 
I mean, not spend too much time on it because then kids can become, you know, then they just want to talk about that one thing or I don't know, it could get weird. But I think in general, I try not to ascribe cultural gender roles or stereotypes and think and focus on like, okay, what does the Bible actually say about Mm -hmm. gender roles and and what should that look like? And so as much as possible, I just try to kind of steer clear of like what culture says about Mm -hmm. it. (laughs) Yeah. I think so much of, so much of it is what they see the mother, father (laughs) figures doing, you know, like, you know, um, and I think, you know, the three of us have talked, we're, we're all pretty lucky to have husbands who cook and do the dishes mm-hmm. and, you know, like all that kind of stuff. I mean, not exclusively, or at least not in my house. Like it's, it's a, you know, one day it'll be him, one day it'll be me. Um, I'm just really thankful that my boys are seeing that, you know, that, that it's, um, yeah, it's just not so, so exclusive to, you know, mom does this and dad does that. It's, it's just, you know, whoever's available, whoever has empty hands or whoever's good at a certain thing, you know, or is motivated to do a certain thing. Um, And then also like, I am a stay at home mom, but even, even before I was like, really earning an income on the side, I was, I was pretty careful to like, let them know that I had work, like whatever it is that was giving me meaning, whether or not I was getting income for it. I would tell them that this is my work. This is mommy's work. That's really you know? good. Um, yeah. Because I want them, yeah. Because it's like, because our work is not, is not about like the income that it brings in, you know, it's about the meaning that we get and like the impact on the world that we're pouring out, you know? So yeah, yeah I think that that's, that's important too, that they see that they see women working in lots of different ways. Yeah, I agree. And I have been like, you know, our kids are seeing this really like partnership with their mom and their dad. And, you know, they see me go to work or have different, you know, community things that I do or whatever, feeling like pretty like I'm, I'm doing okay on this well right <laughs> so right now while we're recording it's international women's day and i'm like you know fist in the air like thank you lord for women like just woo and we're sitting down for dinner and i was telling my kids like okay i'm not gonna be here for bedtime daddy's gonna do bedtime with everybody because i'm gonna go to um do some work and my oldest son said what what are you what are you gonna be doing and i said i'm gonna be doing my podcast. I'm recording a couple podcasts. And he goes, I didn't know women's could be podcasters. And I was like, what? <laughs> and my husband and I just looked at him like, where did that come from? And I was just like, oh, great. Happy International Women's Day. <laughs> you never know what kids are going to say. And it's still like a good slice of humble pie. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, as we, you know, start winding down, I'd love to take it a little bit more. We've talked about, you know, some, some practical things we could do, but I'd love to just go in a little deeper and talk about, um, prayer and just this idea of prayer uniting us with the body of Christ and deepening kind of family unity and I just wonder if you have any stories or examples or ways that you incorporate a spiritual component, you know, because obviously there's this, you know, faith without works is dead, but there is this idea of a a deeper spiritual tending of the souls that we do as parents. So Mm -hmm. do you guys have anything to add to that? 
Do you mean how we pray together as families or how sure. we pray yeah. for our kids? Yeah, I was thinking together as families, but okay. if you have something about praying for kids, that's good too. I was going to say, I, I could definitely improve on the praying for them um, side of things. But as a family, I mean, again, I have the privilege of having my kids home with me all day. So, I mean, part of our morning routine is we share prayer requests, um, which, you know, with five kids, 10 and under is often like, I really wish my sister would just like leave me alone. And, you know, we get those kind of prayer requests. Um but but it it's something that we've just kind of tried to encourage them as like we're we're going to talk to God, you know, and 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 tried to make it as like natural as possible and not not that there's not a time to you know, go into your room and close the door and pray, but to try to make it as like you can talk to God anytime. You can talk to God throughout your day. You can um you know, you can just he's available for us to talk to and he wants us to talk to him. And so we do it every day and we share prayer requests. And I'm, I mean, oftentimes I'm really aside from the, like, you know, I really wish my sister would leave me alone. I mean, most of the time I'm more blown away by how thoughtful they are and how they'll remember something that someone requested like a week ago or, you know, just a neighbor who needs prayer or whatever. And just thinking about how like, how thoughtful they are, you know, and how that's really an opportunity to, to grow in them. Yeah. I, something that we started doing this summer is my, when my husband puts the oldest two to bed, he started saying the Lord's prayer with them. And that's, mm-hmm. um, you know, something that we heard, uh, one of our friends who's a pastor, he said he did with his dad growing up and it was really special to him. And we were like, well, we'll try it. You know, we'll see what happens. Cause that's not, we don't have a lot of that liturgy in our lives. Um, so Shannon, I'd love your input on this too, but we started doing it. And with one of my kiddos, it connected in such a profound way. And then every time when we pray, he's like pulling out bits and asking to say like, what does that mean? Your kingdom come you know and Mm. we unpack that Mm. and there's just been like a very much of a learning as a parent and as like God is teaching me through my kids as we do that and the other thing we tried um that also really connects and this goes Lindsay back to your um statement at the very beginning that kids are so creative and they're all wired so different and one of our Mm -hmm. kids really connects with singing his prayers and I will just tell you as a parent that will just melt your heart to just a little tiny pool oh I haven't but wow those are some tender yeah there's some tender memories there so those are just two really sweet sweet things that's really sweet yeah I know a lot of Catholic families like say a family rosary every day or something. We're, we're not that structured. We've done, we've had seasons in our family life where we'll do, we'll pray night prayer together or, well, I think, yes, night prayer is actually technically supposed to be done like after the kid's bedtime. So it would be evening prayer, but, but I like night prayer because I think it's really beautiful. Um, so I'm talking about like the liturgy of the hours, but um mm-hmm. But so we've included our oldest on that. And sometimes we'll use incense and he's like all about it. <laughs> he loves that. Um, but he is actually a kid who is really um, very, very much needs 
a lot of structure and a lot of predictability. And so liturgy is actually a really beautiful way for him to connect mm-hmm. with God because he feels really safe. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. he goes to mass and it's the exact same yes. rhythm every week. It, it makes him, um, yeah, it's just a really, it's really beautiful to see because I am, I, I came to love liturgy as an adult, but certainly would not have cared much for it as a kid. Mm-hmm. And so it's really cool for me to see how um, healthy that has been for him. And, and even like having those memorized prayers, like Kayla, you said the Lord's prayer, we call it the, our father, but obviously mm-hmm. same prayer um, for him to, to say that too. And, and I, my experience has been the same with yours as he'll pick out certain phrases and he'll ask more about those. Um, we did just recently get him a prayer journal. Yes. And I and copied really you. <laughs> I got this. Oh, did you? Yeah. It's so cute. Have you gotten it in the mail? Yet? Yes. It's amazing. Yes, and so the things that he I writes, know. I'm like, okay, my heart just shattered. Like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I know. So we're talking about this little, this, um, ministry that I write for called blessed is she. And so they have these little kids prayer journals and there's like a space for like, I saw God when, and you know, then like prayer requests and, um, what you're thankful for and stuff. But, but the, the part where he says where he saw God that day, that always gets me because <laughs> it'll be like friends who invited him to play at recess, you know? And I'm like, Oh, my God. Um, Oh, yeah, that's been a special thing lately for us. Mm, I love that. And I, this just feels like such a good way to end, you know, just bring it, yeah. bring it back. So positive note. Yeah, bring yeah. it back to Jesus. Well, thank you guys for sharing. This has been a really fun conversation to have. And I hope our listeners yeah. can take something yeah. away and, and have conversations with people in their own context about what's working and what's not working and how we can always be looking ahead. So, Lindsay, before we go, tell us a little bit about a little thing we got going on on the interwebs. Yeah. So we started a Patreon account. And so Patreon is just a really simple and um, cool way for creators, artists, podcasters to get paid for the work that they do. And so unfortunately, podcasting isn't free and we have podcast bills that we pay every month. And we've been doing that out of pocket. And we just kind of got to a point where we had to say, okay, not sure that we can continue doing that, but we want the podcast to be free. So we also, it's really hard to do ads on the podcast because we don't want to encourage our listeners to like buy a bunch of stuff. (laughs) So it just got kind of tricky. And so we thought Patreon would be a good way to allow people to financially support all the work and the bills, but continue to do the podcast for free. I wanted to just read one of the comments that we got from our Facebook group, Upside Down Tribe, from one of the first people who joined in and committed to supporting the podcast monthly. Um, So this is what Cameron said. She said, your podcast is so important and makes me feel less alone and closer to the true heart of Jesus. Thank you so much for not being afraid to take him at his word, ask hard questions and keep seeking answers. Um, And honestly, we want to be able to continue doing that. And so Patreon is out there um, for people to go and check out and you can support the work that we're doing for a dollar a month, $5 a month, $10 a month. You can give more than that. You can give a one-time gift, but um, at each of those different levels, there's sort of 
gifts or rewards that you get for coming alongside us in this work. And so I would encourage people to go and check it out. And that's patreon.com slash upside down podcast, or you can get a link from Instagram or um, our website. But um, yeah, we're excited and have I think already met our first goal of like paying our bills every month. So next step is yay. Yeah. So next step is we actually get real microphones, which will be crazy. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been encouraging to see people really jump on board and say, yeah, this is worthwhile. And I want to support what you guys are doing. So it makes it feel like a community. Yeah. We're in it together. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. Tune back again in a few more weeks for the next episode. We're thankful for you guys. And we're glad to have these conversations until then. Have a good day.